Hello there and welcome to the Racing Home podcast brought to you by Women in Racing and Simply Racing with support from the Racing Foundation and Kindred Group. I'm Naomi Meller, an equine vet and podcast producer, and in this podcast we're talking about work and family. It's challenging being a parent, whoever you are and whatever you do, and it's particularly challenging being a parent when you work in horse racing. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. So how can we best help people manage being both great parents and valued members of the racing family? Following the Racing Home Research Project, in this podcast we'll be exploring ideas around parenthood and career progression and how to do things differently. I'll be talking to trainers, jockeys, physiotherapists and a host of the sport's experts and decision makers about their experiences, their stories and how together we can shape a positive future for all families in horse racing. We've got an exciting few weeks coming up here at Racing Home, leading up to the official launch of the programme at Kempton Racecourse on Wednesday the 6th of July, which is open to anyone in horse racing and will be attended by plenty of stakeholders to discuss a lot of the pertinent topics we've been discussing in this podcast. If you'd like to attend, then you'd be really welcome to send an email to events at simplyracing.uk. We've talked previously on the podcast about things from a legal perspective, an employer's perspective and from a corporate perspective. But what about the young people entering the industry, how they're taught and what they think? The new generation are vital in creating a sustainable, healthy horse racing industry. So today we're talking to two brilliant women from the educational arm of horse racing. Abby Taylor is the newly appointed Education Manager at the National Stud, where she's responsible for looking after the Entry to Stud Employment Programmes, the Diploma in Stud Practice and Management, and the other advanced education courses run by the Stud. She has previously been a lecturer at Oxford Brookes University and at Abingdon and Whitney College. She's worked for Malcolm Bustard's pre-training operation, spent time at Hillwood Stud and worked for various racing trainers, including Tim Vaughan and Jonathan Portman. So she has a broad and deep knowledge of the industry gained through experience. Eleanor Bowden is the CEO of the Scottish Racing Academy and has been for the last three years, having previously been Community Engagement Coordinator for Scottish Racing and worked with Racing to School and Careers in Racing. Eleanor was also the racecourse yard manager at Cartmel and has ridden out for various trainers throughout her education and training. She also completed a PhD on the lived experiences of women during education and training provision in the UK and Ireland through to early employment. Both she and Abby have careers that are steeped in education and training, so we're the perfect people to discuss this aspect of the racing industry with us. One of the things that's come up time and again, both in the racing home research and on this podcast, is the perception that racing is very traditional, both in attitudes and ways of working, and perhaps unfairly that we're not very progressive compared to more city or corporate based industries. Both Eleanor and Abby meet a lot of young people in their day to day lives, and I wondered what they thought the attitudes of the next generation in racing to work and family actually are. So from my perspective, the people, the young people I work with, so we have young people on accredited courses from 14 and we work with young people pretty much straight after racing to school. We we work with them as I So, you know, we work with really young individuals and young women throughout my kind of research journey as well. I don't think we're unique in terms of 
young women recognizing and starting to think about the role and impact that having a family and starting a family can have on them. So, you know, if you look at Girl Guiding, for example, they reported that, um, you know, 70% of young women, like 11 to 21, I think it was, had said that they want to be able to amalgamate a career and having a family. And actually that was reflected very much in my research. Week one of when I went to speak to young people, young you know, young people, and I'd said to them, you know, so when, what, you know, what, when are you, what do you think your career in racing is going to look like? I think was the question. And they all basically had said, well, I'd like to stay in racing until I have a family. You know, so these were week one of their career in racing journey. And yet they were already contemplating the impact of children. You know, in some time, cases, it was, 11, 12 years down that line. Um, so in a way, I don't think the way that we're thinking about it is different. But I do think that actually, you know, we need to be really realistic that this is how young women think, young people think, um, and work within those boundaries. Uh, I would agree. I think uh, in my experience, I've come across very, very similar. It's the fact that individuals think that it's one or the other. It's a career or a family, and they often have to sacrifice a career for a family and they won't come back or return to the industry. I have come across it as well when individuals are saying, even working, say, sitting up at for foaling and uh, working on a stud that won't fit in with a family life. So um, they won't pursue a career in bloodstock anymore because of that reason. So I, I think the fight, I agree with Eleanor, is exactly the same. I, my, my experience is very similar and it gets put on, the career gets put on hold for a family and often the perception is that they're not going to return to take that career any further. And one of the things that, you know, I spent a lot of time doing was, was thinking about how, how um you know the the racing workforce or the racing identity that we are training young people to fit within is actually molded to be quite i'm going to say neutral but actually neutral leaning towards men because you know it's always assumed that women are going to be the primary caregivers whether that's of a child whether that's of an elderly um family member and actually our working day is built around this you know ideal worker norm which is work takes priority and anything any deviation from that actually is assumed to be a lack of commitment and I think that is drilled into our young people from a very early stage everything we you know we teach them about a working day that's traditional we teach them that we start before dropping off at school hours and you know you return post school collection hours for example and actually that doesn't necessarily fit within the the flexible workforce that I think the rest of the working world generally sees yeah such a good point and very well put as well what I was going to say around that was Abby like in terms of when you're developing you know you talked about developing programs how much thought do you put into things like this in terms of because obviously you've got the educational section of what you're doing and you're teaching a curriculum, you're teaching the facts and, and, and techniques and skills. What about that 
softer side of things I suppose how much thought do you put into that if at all and and do you include any of that into your curriculums? I think that we do it um, in a way that I'm hoping um, will be really beneficial so for example we run an evening lecture schedule and um, some of those lectures or we do on equine law involve employment law and I think it's really important for our young people to understand their employment rights um, including things like paternity and maternity leave and they're aware of what what they're entitled to and I think that is a really good starting point because I think often they don't understand that actually there are laws set in place to protect them within the workplace so we like to think that um, we give them a bit of an education on what is to be expected in the industry but what their rights are and also when they get offered placements to understand their contract and we're happy to go through the contract with them so they understand uh, what each part means. Um, and I think as well, uh, especially here, is they can see it. So we do have employees here that have families and um, they do have flexible working hours. And because they can see it, I think they will go out into industry potentially understanding that that is possible and um, it, it isn't so off-putting when they enter and they do want a family but they can see actually it is possible to run a very um a very successful commercial uh, breeding enterprise and you've got employees with families on there that have a wonderful family life and they're all slightly involved in in the business in, in some way or other um and I feel like that's what we're trying to drive towards is that they can see it they know it's possible they also know their rights they also know they will be looked after by multiple uh, employers and um, they just need to go out there and be able to feel confident that they can have both. They can have a family and have a career and they will be supported. And I feel like um, on the other side, the employers are very keen to work with us and also develop that kind of mutual understanding that they need to kind of move with the times and they are very willing to um, take on individuals with that mindset that they can have both as well. So I feel like we're developing that into, especially into our, our it's a continuation of our programmes really. We've, we've done that for a long time here, but uh, going on, um, we're really going to be encouraging that mindset that they can have both. They can have a career and a family and it, it is normal and it, they can do so successfully as well. And what about the guys, um, you know, you said there you've got some employees at the National Stud who are, you know, obviously balancing family life well. Do you find that guys that work with you are bought into that? And one of the things I'm always interested in is like the attitude of, of young men and, and, and men in the industry as well, because I think unless everybody comes along together and you have allies in terms of employers and young men coming through who understand what it is to share responsibility, we're not going to go anywhere. Um, how does that play out at the National Stud so far? And, and in terms of the young men coming through as well, I guess. I think they do. They have similar views. I think this younger generation understand um, more and more about their rights and more and more about um, like a work-life balance. And they're, they're very therefore they they understand that they can they can go out and get a job job with both now and i feel like um it's much more um they're much more aware also that they can take paternity leave and they can take a stronger role in that family kind of structure um and it's much more in this generation coming through now that's more normal potentially than what we've had uh previously um i think that's really really positive um and they can see it here and i think that also helps 
in Scotland, you're in a really fortunate position because the qualifications didn't exist in Scotland until the Scottish Racing Academy existed. So education, training, healthcare, animal welfare, amongst other things, is actually fully devolved. So we were able to start from the beginning in terms of, you know, we looked at what needed to be in the qualifications under the rules of racing. Um, and then we went to the employers and said, you know, what do these qualifications need to do for you? So, you know, we don't create jockeys. That's very much not our end goal. Our end goal is about producing really good um, quality, stable staff um, and horsemen and women. And if they want to go on to be a jockey, then that's absolutely fine. We'll encourage and support them. But that's very much, um, you know, a conversation between them and their employers once they move into that space. So in terms of from that perspective, we were very much able to take a step back and we were able to go, well, what is um, needed? What is wanted? And how much of this is horse racing and how much of this is education? Because actually there's so much, there's so much gained by anybody in an education setting um, that can't be that can't be replicated in sorry so in a workplace it can't be replicated in education and I had probably taken that for granted when I started this um you know writing and processing of qualifications um so we were able to take a step back and we've actually got multiple options within the horse racing um within the Scottish Racing Academy so we said okay so apprenticeships you know work-based models might not suit your learning style so we've got a college option and actually like we did have a young mother on our college course so she was able to continue her training because she recognized that she had a young family she wasn't able to commit to the working patterns that were maybe expected but the college option allowed her that now I'm not saying it's perfect because it's not um but it provided an opportunity for that young lady um the bit that I then hadn't fathomed was the importance of the workplace on teaching her a lot of skills that maybe we couldn't in the education training provision but then in equal measure, the work-based students learn things that are actually quite reinforcing of maybe not positive behaviours all the time or positive messages. Um, so, you know, we're very fortunate in the Scottish Racing Academy that we can mould, we can work with our employers, we can work with our trainers to get a positive outcome um, as much as possible. I should also say, again, I'm very fortunate that in the Scottish landscape, you know, the trainers have a really good community. We've got a good relationship with all of our trainers, our race courses. So actually the communication and the community is is already very positive. Um, and I think our learners benefit hugely from that. You know, they learn from good examples. Creating change is one of the hardest things to do in any industry. And Eleanor mentioned there a few less than positive attitudes that many people are working to improve. Arguably, it's easier to mould and shape attitudes and behaviours in young people that are still learning and training than it is in people who've been in the industry for years with entrenched views. But to quote a cliche, every day is a new day at the University of Life and there's always opportunities for improvement whatever age you are. I asked Eleanor how she'd gone about trying to identify and mould some of those less than positive attitudes, rare that they are, that she's encountered when I'm talking about these less than positive I'm talking about you know this forsaking everything else in the interest of your career progression so you know I might be talking about you know long hours not wanting to take a holiday for example because they didn't want to miss an opportunity which 
in some respects is, you know, I don't think we should punish that space because obviously every now and then it's a positive because it's dedication, it's hard work. But actually, you know, when we're talking about burnout, we're talking about students becoming overwhelmed. We're talking about really unsustainable behaviours. And, you know, I am not innocent in that. And I recognise that within my position, within my team, I also try very hard to demonstrate behaviours I'd like to see in them. You know, we don't want to be replicating behaviours such as early morning emails, late night emails, working every weekend, you know, all those messages, which I think we're all a bit guilty of falling into. And horse racing, you know, is a sport that is a seven day a week sport now. And when you're in the college environment, they are treated as learners because they are not in the workplace at that time. So they can have a timetabled start. They know when they're starting, when they're finishing. There is somebody else's, you know, space to move into. When you're in the workplace, it looks a bit different. Now, one of the things that we worked really closely on so our work-based provision isn't an apprenticeship so there is a very clear divide between employee and trainee you know and all of our all of our placement providers really recognize and I think value that everybody knows when you're tired you're hungry you're stressed you're cold everything seems like a bigger issue than maybe it is So, you know, we're very lucky that we can move learners into a space that is, you know, if you don't, if if that day is too much, we can sort it out until maybe you're ready to extend your day or, you know, we we teach them to be employees. One of the things that I find really interesting is the sort of attitudes about work between generations. And this, you know, you hear the word snowflake banded around quite a lot with regard to the younger generation. Personally, I think having worked with members of Gen Z and people in their teens and twenties, I find them incredibly hardworking, very flexible. They just work differently. And the idea of working a nine to five for 40 years in the same job has just gone. And the one, certainly the ones I've worked with who students who work with me on a freelance basis, they're often doing multiple jobs by the age of 20 in order to create multiple streams of income and actually it's just they work in a different way I was just wondering how you have found young people's attitudes to work and and what your perception is of that in the educational environment because I think it's very easy for employers in particular to be quite down on young people and say they don't want to work hard they don't want to do it we can't get the staff because they're just not as good as they used to be I was wondering what your perceptions on that is both of you I really dislike that term snowflake and that. Me you do too. Hear it now. <laughs> I really dislike it. I feel like it's not that they're, they're lacking a, a work ethic. I think it's because, like you said, they work differently, but also they're much more aware of how important a work-life balance is. And I feel like because they are willing to some degree to stand their ground, we they get perceived as not working as hard as the generations that uh, that were before them and it's very difficult to try and get employers to understand that um they might work slightly different but actually this particular generation is very innovative they're very creative they uh they are very hard working like so they work very differently and it's understanding and having that really frank discussion with an employer about an individual uh, that wants to enter the industry and be like no they are hard working they might they might wish not to work 
every single weekend and they might have pointed that out into the contract to you the contract to you but fair play you know they 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 know they know they're much more aware of what is right and what is wrong and i think they are more willing to some degree now more than ever to stand by what is correct and we don't acknowledge it that way we acknowledge it that they're not as hard working so don't always think employers really understand where they're coming from um and there's nothing wrong with that. They just see the work-life balance very differently to potentially people before them. Do you know, I am so incredibly proud to work with the young people that I get to work with day in, day out, and, you know, to see the young people. And I don't think we should underestimate the resilience that the students have shown over the last two years with COVID. You know, to think that they were dynamic enough that on Monday this was the expectation and on Tuesday this was the next expectation and it was different to the Monday and they just seemed to bounce back generally obviously some young people weren't able to for various reasons but the majority of the young people I certainly work with have been able to show huge resilience huge dynamism you know they were really quite inspirational and I also don't think we should underestimate the difference in terms of choice you know when I was going when I was 16 and I went to do a vocational training in, in horses, you know, so that's my background, which is ironic since I've got a PhD, but I was never academic. I only wanted to ride horses, only wanted to work with horses. But when I was, I was growing up and training, there wasn't really the choices. You couldn't be a YouTuber. You couldn't be a travel blogger. There's so many other alternative options for these young people now that actually we have to remain attractive. We have to remain current as an industry um and obviously considering i promote the industry day in day out it is an amazing sport to be part of but we have to not forget all the positives yes you know we always talk about you've got to work hard but actually you get to work hard with all your mates you get to travel a lot you know the reason i think if we're all really honest the reason that we all go into racing is because we love horses no matter what space we end up in and I think, you know, that in itself should be a massive pull. But I was going to say, Abby, you said about employers don't always understand the the differences in terms of opinion, which I think is probably what leads to that kind of a bit of a clash, really, to be honest. It's that sort of clashing of worlds, clashing of opinions, um, which is often sort of portrayed out as this kind of Gen Z versus baby boomers, you know, and the kind of OK Boomer generation is sort of not really understanding how young people think. How do you think we go about changing that in terms of education of employers? Have you worked on that or how have you kind of gone about in terms of trying to say, as you did, like, they are hard workers, they just think differently to you. How do we kind of create that understanding for employers to to, to smooth that meeting of minds, I guess? I think that's a really, really tricky question to answer because I think it's a very difficult subject for people uh, that have businesses to understand. Um, and I think if we knew that, that answer right away, oh, it would solve so many problems. I think... Um, Employers, don't get me wrong, are, are very keen to change now because they are realising that there is a significant lack of employees. There's no, there's very little stuff. We know we've got retention and recruitment problems and I think they're very much willing to change or willing to listen. We've got some brilliant employees that work with us um, and our education programmes provide placements and work experience 
potentially with those employers. And I think they're becoming much more open-minded to the individuals out there and also using them and seeing that they do bring an amazingly different range of skills potentially than those generation before. Um, and they can utilise them in different ways. Um, so some are really, really good in terms of like digital technology and they can utilise that and bring it into the workplace. And I feel like it's just is slowly they are realizing that they they bring so much potentially even so much more than we did before um and it's making them realize that and it is it is difficult um and it's a slow process but i feel like the industry is actually much more open than it's perceived to be um and people are really willing to work with us um to see change for the better so we want to provide really really well skilled all-rounded students that can do well and progress in the industry and they really want to help us nurture these students so actually being able to just have that open open forum that communication also kind of the aiding of the passing of the students into employment is really really important but employers are willing to work with you um and i think once they've generally opened their minds and see potentially what one student could bring or one individual stepping in could bring that i do find that they are like could we have a, have you got anyone else that you could send us um like we are really willing to work with you i feel like they are more open than perceived employers um they just sometimes just need to they just need to realize um by experience or anything else um, but it is a tricky, tricky subject. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I'm finding it. Just in the eight weeks of being here, employers happy to contact us. Uh, we'd really like to know uh, what they can do, or have they got have we got anyone that might be interested in a role that they've got to offer? Um, and generally, if we can, we can help them potentially understand that individual send them a CV the individual's interested and then we really just help them nurture that student and they're quite open also for us to go in and also meet with that student meet with them um, discuss any issues discuss career development what they want next um, I was really surprised at how open they are and how much they really want to work to be able to understand these different opinions and these different skills these young people have um, but yeah that's that's how I, I would like to think that we're going to carry on is uh have a really really strong employer relationship and um be able to help them understand how these young people's minds work and how how great they can be it struck me here that abby and her team are a wonderful conduit between the employers they work with and the young people entrusted to their care having a foot in both camps an understanding of both sides and the capacity to empathetically understand opinions and solve problems is so invaluable. The student receives help, the employer receives help and everyone develops together. How brilliant is that? Yeah, it is. And in terms of retention, that's so, so important for the industry because you're not losing them. And if an employer comes back to us and says, you know, this individual's done really well, and the, the employee gets in touch with us and says, listen, I want to develop a little bit further. Have you got anything that we can do? There's lots of different options now. Um, so the BHA, TBA through us, which we can use to help them aid their next step. So we can offer them a remote qualification that they can do. And we're finding employers very, very open to that as well. So they have, they're seeing the development of that individual, they're helping them and their employees, like their senior staff, are also really willing to help these, these, uh, these new staff develop as well. And that's really, really good. And it helps retain them. They're progressing. Um, they can come to us 
for help with, uh, obviously we're running the qualification through first support, but also the employer is much more engaged in that person's development. And um, yeah, it's, I just think it's a really nice cycle. And it's a really good relationship you can have with these employees. And we are, I see it, you can see it. They really want to be much more open-minded and I think give them credit. They are willing to help. It's interesting because I was talking to one trainer who was saying that they have um, given responsibility to some of their younger staff for running their social media, for example, producing a lot of the digital stuff for owners. And in terms of owner retention, that is vital. You know, obviously COVID has kind of completely changed the communication between owners and trainers. And actually young people coming through often have fabulous skills on video editing and, and things like that, that a trainer perhaps either doesn't have time for, doesn't have the knowledge about, or a, a stud owner, a business owner, you know, anybody like that. And if those people have got enthusiasm for those sorts of skills, which are so natural to them, it's part, it's just ingrained as part of your life, then that's a, a real offering. And I think sometimes it's just about thinking outside the box a little bit, instead of saying, here's a pitch for go muck out. It's also, what can you value add to my business? You know, how can you add things that I don't know about. It's almost like a reverse mentoring in a way, isn't it? Of kind of them learning new skills or contributing new things that will add to your business, potentially create income opportunities for you. But certainly if if not that, then retain current streams of revenue. And and actually having those young people involved in that is, is not just digital. It's so many different things, but that's just one example, I think, isn't it? Yeah, they have multiple transferable skills now, especially since COVID. Uh, we've got some extremely talented individuals out there that can do uh, have multiple skills. Uh, yeah, I think you're spot on. They offer so much more than just the fact that they have a practical ability to muck, a, muck out stables, fall down a mare to, to potentially ride a piece of work. There's so much more to that now that they could bring. Um, and they are, as well as that, like Eleanor said, that important word, resilience. They are so, so resilient. I think the perception sometimes is a little bit unfair in terms of that we don't, you know, our trainers don't want to in, improve or have a bad reputation or I think it's about knowing. The, my analogy would be, you know, at the end of the day, tra- racehorse trainers, yes, are CEOs of businesses, but often they get into this role, like I said before, because they love horses, they want to train horses. And sometimes it's really hard, especially, you know, in these this climate where, Things are getting harder across the whole board, not necessarily just in horse racing. Staff are becoming harder to find, harder to replace. It's challenging. And I think we should recognise that we are all trying to do our best and we recognise that trainers are trying to do their best. And generally, with a bit of support and a bit of guidance, a bit of advice, often they, they will um, you know, be really reactive and responsive to change. Like I certainly would struggle if someone asked me to to start a YouTube channel. I don't know, think I'd know where to begin. You know, <laughs> technology and me aren't brilliant. So you know, I do totally see that actually it's not unique, basically, to the horse racing industry. But we're, you know, I think we're also very fortunate that we have the Racing Home Project. We've got the Racing Foundation to drive forward all these positive changes. Racing Welfare, all the work they do. You know, actually. If you need support and want support in terms of anything, there generally is an organisation within racing that can help you with it or direct you within that space. And I think, you know, we should be really proud of that. 
The pressure on recruitment and retention in horse racing has been well documented and much discussed. And it's fair to say that there's no silver bullet on solving some of the problems we have around this. It's a long game. But I wanted to hear from Eleanor and Abby as two people at the coalface of recruitment into racing about where they thought we are with it all. How are we actually doing in terms of recruitment of talented young people? And what does the future hold? I really feel that we're, as education providers uh, within Bloodstock and Racing, we're much more open and wanting to drive for a widening of participation. Um, I'm sure Eleanor could agree with that. We really want to widen participation in the sport. And I feel we have, haven't tapped into pools of individuals that could, that could, are really talented and offer could offer indus- the industry a lot and we're still trying to bridge those gaps between them and and the industry and that's what I think well, everyone's trying to do that offers some form of education provision um I feel like once we've bridged those gaps effectively and we can I think that there is there are it's looking positive and there are more individuals that will enter and again with these range of skills we've discussed whether they they bring skills from um, other jobs or, or the young individuals with digital skills they've linked during covid for example but there are other pools of individuals that we're still tapping into that that just need kind of a bit of a leg up into the industry because they don't realize what's on offer for them i think that's really positive that we can see those individuals still coming like coming through now and it's just about making that those bridges stronger you know i I think we can only be positive you know projects like this in itself are recognizing you know in the diversity and racing steering group there's so much positive going on at the moment that is saying okay we need to lead by example we we recognize this change needed and I don't think anybody would be in disagreement in terms of saying there's work to be done the most challenging part in most of these things is recognizing you need to change and actually I think we've we've overcome that hurdle um it's now about saying what do we do about it and I think what we will find is that going forward because we'll be able to lead by example so young women will be able to see successful mothers in this sport they will be able to see working fathers in this sport you know paternity leave I think the conversations will change it just becomes normal and actually you don't have to look far to see examples of this change in other industries you know other sports other industries have been through what we're currently going through um but we've acknowledged it we're working through it you know we've got some mega people that are heading up this change so i think it can only be positive but we have to stay really conscious you know self-checking have we done what we need to do you know what impact will what i've just done have on those that are watching um and and it's yeah look it's not going to be an easy journey but I don't think anyone thinks it is and and those journeys that are easy aren't always the most meaningful so let's be really honest really reflective difficult conversations aren't always well difficult conversations are you know by the the name of them difficult but often can be really valuable and I think when I was coming through this process I actually I probably couldn't tell you anybody in this sport that had children. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have children. It's because they've either felt that they've not been able to discuss them, they've not been able to make them visible for for whatever reason. And and I think that's going to change going forward. We will see working mothers. We will see pregnant 
um, people within our sport, returning mothers, part-time mothers, flexible working mothers. So yeah, I think it can only be positive. That's it for today. Thanks for listening and don't forget to follow the podcast to receive all new episodes as they land. It would really help us if you could rate the podcast and leave a review telling us what you'd like to hear about. This is a resource for you and everyone in the industry and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, so see you then.